But one thing I have to say about Ocho is uh, years ago, uh, when uh, he was a pro bowler for the Bengals, right. he promised to send me a size 10 and a half Debo's <laughs> and I still don't have them. <laughs> Yo, 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 welcome to RG3 and the Ones, a Way Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Robert Griffin III, and on this show, we're talking to the Ones. I mean, the ones that are at the top of the industry in sports and entertainment, the ones that not only know the game, but also study the game. And hopefully, by the end of this episode, you'll be able to take one thing from them that you can apply to your own life to help you become the one in that bad boy, too. And I'm the one who's brand new in this media game. And today I'm going to be talking to one of the OGs. I mean, one of the founding fathers. Probably not that. But before I get ahead of myself, let's go ahead and break it down. As always, you're going to be getting new episodes every single Thursday from us. So make sure you like and subscribe to our YouTube page. And also follow us on social media at RG3 and the ones. Listen, we're going to be dropping so much game on you. You're going to make sure you got to make sure you're tuned in. Coming up on this episode, I'm going to give you my 2023 wrapped. But before we get to that, I got a special guest that I'm beyond honored to have on this show. I mean, he is one of the OGs, and I do mean original gangsters of the media game. He has the whole media world on lockdown and has been inspiring a generation for as long as he's been in TV. It's the one and the only Rich Eisen. Welcome to the show, my brother. What a uh, what an introduction, Robert. Thank you. <laughs> and, Greatly appreciate it. Thanks, brother. No, nah, man, you've uh, you've really inspired myself, uh, a guy who did not want to get into TV for for many reasons. But watching you as I was growing up, uh, I think you were at ESPN literally during my prime years of being able to be molded as a young young man, uh, 96 to 2003. So I was six years old to 13 years old at that time. Um, so I did watch you. And I do think that part of the reason I've had success in this business is because I got an opportunity to to see guys like yourself come up and do it the right way in the media game. My question for you would be, how has the media changed from the time you first got in it to what it is now? Well, I mean, um, if I wasn't shooting this on my cell phone, I'd hold the cell phone up right now, <laughs> you know, because that's that's how it's changed. I mean, because... Um, I, I was on SportsCenter from 96 to 03 and was there for the complete transformation of the show. Uh, I got there when it was like the SportsCenter I watched when I was in college, uh, all the way through up to the moment I was fortunate to get the phone call from ESPN to, to, to join the staff there. And uh, that was the SportsCenter that assumed the viewer um, did not know what had happened, uh, did not know um, uh, what, what, what really went on after the game. Um, or if you've seen it once, that's all you saw of it. You didn't see it a second or a third or a fourth time. So the highlight was the first way for you to learn what happened or see it again for the first time. And um, that completely changed, obviously, with the advent of cell phones, the proliferation of things like the Internet. Um, and so the show went from explaining uh, what happened or recounting it for an audience that was uh, still eager to see it um, again for the first time in an entertaining, in an entertaining highlight form uh, filled with pop culture references. 
and uh, it went from that show to explaining why something happened right. or arguing about what had happened <laughs> and whether somebody deserved to be blamed for it or not. And um, uh, that was the birth of debate shows. Right. And Sports Center turned into that when I was there towards the end of it. And so that that um, was the beginning of the end of what would, one would think would be a traditional highlight show. I still think there's an audience for it. Uh, in this day and age still, but maybe I'm howling at the wind. I don't think you're howling at the wind. Uh, I do believe there's still a place for the highlight shows. But the question I have for you, because you were in there, right? You were in the belly of mm -hmm. the beast. When that change was happening and it became more about debate shows and it became more about arguing about what happened and why it happened, did you like that? No. <laughs> no, I actually, no, I didn't. That's why um, I wanted to do fewer and fewer sports centers. Right. My role went from being um, an information sports uh, news and information or news and infotainment host to being the uh, moderator of a sports version of what the time uh, was a very popular show on CNN called Crossfire. And that's what was happening. I was uh, moderating um, de facto arguments between Sean Salisbury and uh, and John Clayton. May may uh, may he rest in peace. Those were the types of segments that were were, were beginning to blossom on ESPN. And I didn't like it. Uh, I didn't like it at all. And um, I looked around and I said to myself, I'm becoming more of a moderator. Um, of a segment that does not require me to do anything but uh, jump in every now and then to retee a subject matter. And, and I didn't really like it. So I wanted to do fewer and fewer sports centers, which may be a reason why I wound up on NFL. <laughs> <laughs> I think that takes me to my next question about just the evolution of the media space. You're not a big hot take guy, right? I don't even feel like a lot of what you do, Rich, is is takey in nature. It's more of like delivering mm -hmm. facts and delivering your opinion. Um, and it's kind of the way I've tried to approach or the way I do approach what I do in the media. Do you think that the media has done a bad job of informing the fan because of the nature of debate shows? Oh, I, I don't know about that. I, 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 I think it's more of, um, you know, I, I don't think the debate shows are are, are shows that uh, that are informing. Um, I think what they're doing is is uh, maybe helping people inform their opinions or continue on with a, a discourse that um, I, I totally understand why why they exist. But um, I, honestly, if anybody's going to a debate show for their news and information, then, um, then maybe the, the, the viewer is not being serviced in that regard. Um, but it's up to you to whether you agree with an opinion or not. And I think that that is just the way to tee up a conversation about what is happening in the world, um, in the sports world. And it just is occupying the same real estate, say, again, for instance, on, on ESPN, that Sports Center used to occupy. I mean, the biggest exposure I've gotten in my career prior to calling games on NFL Network, the big, biggest exposure I've gotten in my entire um, you know, hosting career, let's put it that way, is the sports center rears that you might have been referring to growing up, right. which definitely makes me feel very old, RG3. <laughs> but um, 
I, I went. I, I did the two AM Sports Centers with Stu Scott, yep. and uh, then it turned into the one AM Sports Centers that we would then update in the two AM Eastern time, and then we would spend time uh, after that show is over at three in the morning, either waiting for West Coast sporting events to end, um, or uh, fix mistakes that were made in that two AM show, right. because it would start to, as they would say, wheel re-air at five in the morning all the way through to one in the afternoon. Correct. And that would be the time period where I would go home back to my apartment um, in Farmington, Connecticut, and go to sleep. <laughs> uh, so the biggest exposure I've had of my career is while I was sleeping. Right. And that's the time frame now where the there are shows that, sure, I mean, that there are portions of Get Up, um, although I, I don't get up too, too uh, often to watch that show because it's on really early out here in the West Coast. Right. But, you know, I'm sure there are portions of that show that 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 are actual like delivery of news straight up like a like a like a TV show uh, similar to Sports Center, And then there's debate surrounding it. So I, I'm not saying that f- viewers aren't being um, you know serviced. They may not be, um, you know, informed by straight facts or news. They're just they're informed by a lot of opinion, some of it very entertaining and some of it well thought out, sometimes also not at all well thought out and and delivered for purposes of, of, of whoever's delivering it becoming famous. I mean, that that may be what we're seeing right now. But what I do on my show every day is I just truly say what I feel. And the fact that you're saying it's not takey, I mean, I'm, I am offering opinions. I am offering my take on things, um, but they, they, they may not be delivered in such a way that may come across as provocative. I don't, I don't want to be that way. I'm just telling you the way I feel completely open to somebody feeling, uh, you know, differently and having a, a conversation where there could be a lot of gray area, not like someone should be fired. Someone should be, this is a disgrace and things of that nature. That's not my, that's not my wheelhouse. Yeah, it's, it's really not. And, and that's kind of where I'm coming from. I feel like, uh, do you feel that any show, whether it's a debate show or it's on TV and it's informing yeah. of the fan, shouldn't it be like a little bit of a balance between being a walking encyclopedia of information and also a little bit of a debate? Because not everyone's going to agree with each other, but I think that should be more of the balance. What do you think? Well, I, again, I, I don't know if those those shows should be mixed together. Okay. <laughs> That's why I didn't like Sports Center <laughs> turning into the manner in which it did. Right. But there are there are opportunities where somebody can come on and offer their opinion of what they've just seen. That's what I, I kind of I, I dig about uh, Scott Van Pelt's show. Scott's show is as close to the old Sports Center as there as there is. Um, and it's also his own personal stamp on it, his own fingerprint, which is awesome because he's terrific. And I, 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 I love him, but you know, he, I think we share a sensibility or at least his feels familiar to mine. And, um, so again, I, I don't begrudge anybody that, that watches opinion shows or, or, um, gets their news and information from it. They just have to understand that that's not the traditional sense of, of news delivery, at least not in my mind. Yeah. And and I think that might be the complexity of it all is that you have fans that are going to these shows wanting that information and they're not getting that information. They're getting 
the well i think they also want to know what people who they respect think of exactly. it you know exactly. uh, i'm i'm curious to know what you have to say and uh, you know orlovsky has to say again just to choose your network uh my old one Stephen a smith um i i love the guy man i, I find that guy uh highly entertaining and his delivery is riveting he comes from the world of journalism you know it's kind of funny where where when i first got um contacted by espn it was through a headhunting service so back in the the 90s back in the early 90s um there were three main um headhunting firms that people like myself looking to get on uh bigger television stations or espn we would send our resume reel to a headhunting firm and um and and hope that you know it would get seen and delivered into the hands of someone who would hire hire you, and um, and that's how I got on ESPN's radar screen from Redding, California, which is the uh, local market that I was doing the five and eleven o'clock sports in from uh, ninety four to ninety six, and I got a call in late ninety five from this headhunting firm saying there's a a very important shop in the TV business that's looking to um, that's uh, looking to hire. Um, and they're, they, they saw your first reel and they're interested in seeing more, but you have to send your best written material. Your best writing needs to be on the screen with your delivery. So it's not just you being, um, you know, uh, wacky or crazy. The, the, the written word, they're very serious about the written word. That was SportsCenter. You know, John Walsh, who was the godfather of SportsCenter, came from U.S. News and World Report, and he was... Hunter S. Thompson's editor at Rolling Stone. And so he wanted well-crafted lead-ins, well-written material. Again, so Stephen A., he comes from the world of writing. He's a longtime columnist. He comes from the world of journalism. So that is informing a lot of what he's saying. Although, you know, I don't know how much journalism was in the question I saw on his uh, feed yesterday on his show about which is the proper way to wipe, which is <laughs> wild. Seeing, you know, what... Yeah, I, 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 I don't know if he wrote if he ever wrote a column back in the day about about the appropriate amount of thickness. Again, that's what I saw yesterday on his on his feed. <laughs> I love the guy, honestly, truly adore him. And I, I also understand what he's trying to do in terms of his career and branch out. He should have his own show, which he does. Yep. So, again, long story short, though, is I I totally understand that people want their news and then want to understand their news. Right through the prism of people whose opinion they respect. Um, I, I just didn't want to host a show that mixed both at the same time. That makes sense. And the next question then becomes like, when does it go too far? I mean, Stephen A. Smith, calling Zion fat. Some of the examples that you just used about what he's saying on his own show, like for you. No, being I mean, that, OD, but that's his when, own when show is, is different from, but his own show is not, it's his own show. Like he's creating his own, like, and that's what I'm doing. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 spoke, I speak about uh, subjects other than sports. I'm speaking to entertainers right. about their movies and TV right. shows. He's doing something other than what you would think. It's just like it's Stephen A. Smith on first take where he's going to have an opinion, a very uh, pointed and well thought out and highly entertaining delivered opinion on his show with others on a panel. This one, he's a monolithic figure on his own show, on his own set, talking about the stuff that interests him and and show a different side of his personality and his sense of humor. And it's jarring that you you would see both 
of those guys um, that, you, you, you know, it's the same guy, but different subject matters are coming out of his mouth. But that's what he wants to do with his career. And that's what he's really successful at is reinventing and also showing off a different side of himself. I think what he's doing is risky, but the best the best um, plays come out of out of um, putting risk out there. And he's dynamite at at talking and 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 gaining an audience. And by the way, laugh out loud, hilarious as well. So I, again, I, I totally understand what 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 he's what he's doing. And anybody that thinks that he's not going to be successful at it, I think, is uh, highly mistaken. Oh, he's wildly sure. he's wildly successful. All right, people, you know what time it is. It's time to give out some gifts. No, seriously, it's time for Prize Picks. RG3 and the Ones is presented by Prize Picks, and Prize Picks is the most fun I've had, winning up to 25 times my money this football season. We making bank, y'all. It's as simple as this. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Pow! Just like that. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. That's big time now because if you have a player who exits the game in the first half of the football game and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. I'm telling you, man, Prize Picks is really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. So let's get into it. This week, my Prize Picks are going to be number one, Rashad White, at over 69 and a half rushing yards. He's hit that number four out of the last five games, and the one game that he didn't hit it was last week, and they gave him 20 carries. And he's going to begin the Saints defense, who we know to be pretty, pretty efficient and pretty great, but. Against the run, they've allowed the eighth most rushing yards this season. So look out for Rashad White to go over that 69 and a half yards. And my second pick is going to be Dak Prescott. All right. Right now they got him at 275 and a half passing yards, which I know is a lot. But the Cowboys are going to be at home going up against a Lions team that has allowed the ninth most passing yards this season. Cowboys are ready to bounce back. Dak is ready to prove that he should still be in the MVP conversation. So I expect him to come out there and try to air it out a little bit against that Lions D. So those are my picks. Daily Fantasy Sports is made easy with prize picks. So go to prizepicks.com slash RG3 and use code RG3 for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, make sure you go to prizepicks.com slash RG3 and use code RG3 for a first deposit match of up to $100. I guess the question I have for you is being an OG, when that translates over to being on a network like ESPN, and it becomes personal or a net or other networks out there. And you're calling players trash and you're talking about them off the field in a way that is uh, D I, you could deem it unprofessional or unnecessary or personal. To me, it feels like that's where the media has gone and that's where the stars are being created, but that's to the mm. detriment of the players. That's to the detriment of the game and to the detriment of the fans. Yeah, I, 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 I don't disagree. Yeah. Uh, I don't disagree with you on that. And just, again, my own, my own st- sense of style is I, I don't do that. I, I'll tell you this story. Um, this is where I learned uh, the, my lesson was, I think, my second year on SportsCenter. I, I, I just wanted to be uh, offset. <laughs> I just wanted to be 
on a different assignment than SportsCenter. I wanted to branch out. So I constantly asked for assignments outside of the building, on the road, put me out there. Because again, I mean, um, I was 26 years old, sitting in central Connecticut, doing shows at two in the morning. I had no earthly idea who I was talking to. Right. I had no idea if I was being heard. Uh, honestly, I, 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 I would just do this show like I told you, go to sleep, get the biggest television exposure of my career, do it again and do that for five days a week right. over and over again. And I, I really didn't go out in the world. And then I also didn't um, go out in the world of, of sports. Uh, I wanted to play with a lot of the toys in the ESPN chest. <laughs> so I finally got an assignment, I believe in year two. So I'd been there just over a year. And the assignment was for NBA two night. If you remember all those shows <laughs> on ESPN two that had the number two in them, right? right. You know, RPM two night, NHL two night. <laughs> so for our NBA two night, um, they sent me to the old Boston Garden to cover the red hot, uh, eventually, I think, 60-win Seattle Sonics okay. coming into town okay. um, to take on the Celtics and do a, a story on them because it was their one time in Boston. It was as close geographically as the hottest team in the NBA was going to come to Bristol, Connecticut. So they sent me up um, to Boston, and I did a piece on it. And I just remember when I walked into that old school um, away locker room, right. as Spartan as they can get. I went in there before the team walked in, and they had just dismantled the Celtics, who weren't very good. And there was, you know, Gary Payton, and there was Detlef Shrimp, and there was, I believe, Sam Perkins, um, and there was a whole bunch of guys who I had talked about on Sports Center for the last year. And they looked, you know, angry. Uh, I looked straight, I, you know, they straight, were like looking right at me, like who the hell was I in, in that locker room? Or at least that was my own insecurity at play. And I just remember thinking to myself, holy shit, <laughs> what did I say about every single one of these guys right. over the last year on SportsCenter where my first year was all about telling jokes? Right. I just wanted to be as entertaining <laughs> as possible. It really wasn't all about the news and information. It was about cracking, you know, uh, pop culture references right. or cracking wise. And I just remember thinking to myself, did I say something if Gary Payton shot an air ball? Did I make fun of George <laughs> Carl calling the wrong timeout in a highlight? And I just started panicking, going through my mental Rolodex to go through, uh, you know, what had happened. And um, I got through it. And I remember that uncomfortable feeling as I'm driving back. And I said, I can never, ever say a word on my set of whatever I'm doing, whatever I'm hosting. Anytime I put a microphone on my tie or my lapel or speak into a microphone, I can never say something that I would never, that I can't say to the person's face. Right. So if I'm saying something, I should be able to say to a person, you know, with all due respect, or this is the way I'm thinking. Right. You tell me if I'm wrong. That sort of like I would have to have a certain baseline of respect whenever I say something. Because if I see that person, I should be able to have a relationship with them. And that still lasts to this day. That one night in the away locker room of the Boston Garden where I basically started peeing down my leg to think, you know, what's wrong with me and probably was nothing wrong with me. It's just that they were, you know, surly professionals. 
uh, probably in like game 60, maybe having to have a back-to-back, get on a plane, go somewhere. It had nothing to do with me or what I said. But I just remember to myself, that was such an uncomfortable situation. I will never repeat it. And the only way to never repeat it is to make sure everything I say to a microphone is something I'd be comfortable saying to someone's face. To that point, it's, it's one thing to say Gary Payton airballed a three-pointer. It's another thing to say that Gary Payton's mama didn't, didn't teach him how to shoot a, a free throw, right? That's different. I agree with you. Uh, but some of that type of stuff with the jokes and whatnot, they really play well uh, on podcasts. And now we're seeing all types of players have podcasts while they're still playing. Yes. Do you think that's a yeah. good thing or a bad thing? Um, I think it's a good thing because they have their own platforms. Right. Straight up. Um, I think it's a good thing. And um, for instance, uh, I, but they, they better understand that they have to perform well on the field or on the court yep. if they're going to do that. Yep. And they also have to understand that something may happen on the field or on the court that if they're happy to o- o- opinionate about someone else's stuff, <laughs> that they have to actually talk to the audience that they're building about their own business. Correct. Um, I, again, I don't believe Draymond has had his podcast yet since his um, indefinite suspension. At some point, he's going to have to talk about that. I mean, like that's that's the door you're opening up to have that. But I mean, Twitter or whatever the hell it's called now, um, it, it changed the game where players don't need to go through their own press conferences or or have the traditional sit down with the media in order to um, promote something they want to promote or talk about whatever they they need to uh, talk about or feel compelled to talk about. That's their own platform, and that's great. Uh, I think that's that's terrific. Um, they just also have to understand that that might open things up to a, a dicey situation for them. You're 100 spot on there. I actually I love the fact that the guys have podcasts. It feels like everybody's got a podcast now. But when you bring up the Draymond Green thing, it's like. Listen, man, part of the problem during the season is they don't have enough time to shoot all these episodes. Well, he got enough time now. Mm-hmm. He should be on every single week, probably every couple of days talking about whatever he needs to talk uh, about. I don't know. I think he needs to uh, probably lay low right now and get back on the court. And the way that he gets back on the court is whatever conditions that uh, the NBA has communicated to him and the Warriors that he needs to meet um, needs to be met. You know, and and him then coming coming out there and basically saying, you know, hey, um, what's that banner the Lakers are hanging in their uh, you know arena right now at the uh, in season tournament? Like, what gives with that? Like, that's that's not probably the best use of his off time. It's not, right but now, but to your you know? point, one, I think Draymond should get rid of the basketball shoes and put on the football pads. This man's just he's a physical machine. The Eagles and the Cowboys could right. use him right now. To your point about players when they take on these podcasts they're also taking on the scrutiny and have to talk about their business although the nba probably doesn't want him out there talking right now because of his suspension he sets himself up to be talked about in this way because he's not doing his show now and i think that that's a it's a double-edged sword that i think some players don't quite understand you can't just do the podcast when things are going great even when you're in the the midst of uh your valley experience or some turmoil there's going to be some criticism if you just move away from doing the podcast now. Yes. And that's kind of where I, where I sit with, with Draymond uh, during this. Well, suspension. again, he, he, he's, 
he's got to get back on. I mean, if we just want to linger on the subject matter for a minute, he's got to get back on the court. He's got his teammates yeah. who are who are looking around, looking for they his um, remarkable ability to play point forward, yeah. um, do the dirty work underneath. They miss him. And the sooner the sooner he gets back, the, the the faster he can get in front of a microphone and speak to what you think uh, he should be speaking to right, right now. And uh, when it's all said and done, though, I mean, the guy's going to the Hall of Fame, and I bet you there's a seat waiting for him on Turner. But the only way that there's no seat waiting for him on Turner is if he pisses off the league so intently that um, that somebody, a Turner or maybe even your shop uh, in business with the NBA would would have to um, really think hard about hiring him. So he's he's in a dicey scenario right now, and whatever he needs to, if you will, work on. Um, it might just be sitting at home for the moment. Last question on this media portion of things is when you see shows like um, what you talked about with Stephen A and what Stephen A is doing and you see Nightcap with, yeah. with Shannon and Ocho, like, I mean, they're, they're out there now. <laughs> they, are, they are way out there into some creepy stuff. What's your take on, on like what's going on there with some of our biggest with some of our biggest name guys in the industry out here doing some of this stuff? Right. I mean, again, uh, that, that's what they want to do. And there's there's an audience for it. Go seek it. Uh, I, honestly, I, I, I'm not going to I'm doing what I'm doing every day. I got you. Um, I'm, I'm thrilled to have, uh, you know, uh, a relationship with NFL Network. That allows me to do my show for three hours a day, every day for Roku and the Roku channel. Uh, I'm thrilled that uh, the NFL has a relationship with Westwood One and vice versa so they can syndicate my radio show and sell my podcast time. So um, I, I'm going to stay within my lane in that corporate world. Um, also, you know, uh, I'm a 54 year old father of three. So I just come from my own world and what I'm interested in talking about and what what I'm doing and am thrilled to have uh, an audience that's interested and partners that are uh, happy to give me that lane and leeway. And I will not, you know, begrudge anybody else what they are are doing. The one thing I have to say about Ocho is uh, years ago uh, when uh, he was a pro bowler for the Bengals. Right. He promised to send me a size 10 and a half Debo's <laughs> and I still don't have them. <laughs> and he knows, he knows that he owes me these Debo's right. and, and he still hasn't done it yet. Right. And all he does is get bigger and bigger in terms of his profile yeah. um, in, in this business uh, that he began to first cut his teeth uh, showing off his remarkable personality on Bengals cam on NFL Total Access with me <laughs> being the one to kind of be his straight man. So at the very least, right. with what he's doing right now in his career, the 10 and a half, I'm still a 10 and a half. Come on, Ocho. I still don't have them. Um, and it just it just shows you that's that he's lost his way. <laughs> that he has still not <laughs> sent me. He doesn't understand. He doesn't focus on the important things. You know, yeah, we gotta, but that's that's for him. That's for him to deal with. We gotta we gotta make sure Ocho gets you those ten and a halves for one hundred percent. And I respect mm -hmm. the I respect the answer that you just gave because I do agree that everyone has to kind of find their own lane and go whatever yeah. direction they want to. I'm 33. I got four daughters. I'm not talking about some of that stuff. That's just not what I want to do. 
and and I'm not 50. You know what I'm saying? I'm not 50, 60 years old. So I, I understand where you're coming from. I kind of agree with you. And honestly, this last part of it, you can speak to this better than anybody. Because you were one of the OGs and inspired guys like myself, there's also some other guys with you that also inspired me. And that you're talking about the Mark Joneses of the world, the Stuart Scotts of the world, your own experience working with Stuart and, and the coolness that he brought to being a broadcaster and guys, you know, cooler than the other side of the pillow and all of those phrases, just how was that experience for you? Because for me, I miss that portion of what sports center was. I miss that portion of what ESPN was. And I know for you as well, uh, you certainly miss the man that Stewart was. Yeah. I, I, I will always talk about Stewart because um, man, I, I think he's been gone six, seven years now, which is mind blowing and keeping his uh, memory spirit alive um, is something I'm, I'm up for doing. Although um, it is kept alive by so many people on the air right now for whom he helped blaze a trail. And I think you're one of them straight up. Um, He would love to see what you're doing right now. (laughs) Literally like what you're doing right now. I believe what you're involved in a commercial shoot today and you're taking time in your free time right now to do your thing and build your brand and make your content and be yourself and be a dad and be a husband. That was him. That was him a hundred percent. And and he, what you saw on TV was the guy. That was it. That was him. There was no filter. It was not an act. It wasn't like, you know, um, him walking around uh, off the air in a manner that you did not see on the air right. and that, you know, you flip a switch. It literally was him asking him, what was that pop culture reference? You know, what was that song about? What was that? There was a lot of questions about his on air um style right that was asked of him robert that wasn't asked of me right and there was one time um during a a, a show where um i mentioned um uh, a, a seinfeld reference right and i dropped a seinfeld line again this is you know towards the end of the seinfeld era <laughs> and um he he turns to we go to commercial break he goes what was that <laughs> i'm like what do you mean what was that he goes what what what'd you just say and I'm like, oh, that was from Seinfeld last night. And he goes, brothers don't watch Seinfeld, <laughs> is what he said. And that, I took that to mean, uh, Robert, was that how come your pop culture reference is considered, you know, the check mark and right. mine gets questioned? Right. You know, how come you're talking to an audience how come me talking to an audience um is viewed as exclusionary instead of inclusionary and that was um occasionally it it made him bristle but it never deterred him and it was awesome to watch it really was just to just to see you know him do his thing and be himself an authentic self and have a front row seat to it is something was uh, to behold. I also just, I would never, ever get to do a Jordan highlight whenever he was on the show, ever. That wasn't it. Like, they, like uh, I didn't even expect it. Jordan goes off for 40. And a couple of times I would just joke with him like, so that's my highlight tonight, right? That's my <laughs> highlight. It's Jordan the highlight, you know? 
Do I get that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, you could do the Yankee highlight. And I'm like, I don't, I don't care, man. Like, you know, you get yours. You want to be Jordan's? You want to do Jordan? Like, I would just get in his face like that. We would have a lot of fun. And he watched um, me uh, meet somebody there at ESPN who um, I, I really um, fell in love with. And uh, she, at the time, um, working in the, uh, in the newsroom there and then eventually moved on somewhere else, just wanted to be friends. And he kind of kept playing us to the middle for a long time. And she turned out to be my wife. Um, we have now three beautiful children, knocking on wood. And there's a photograph of Stuart at our wedding, on our wedding night, where I'm holding out, you know, this ring right here. And he's got my hand and he's smiling at me. And the look on his face was not just, you know, that uh, here we are on your wedding day, how cool is this? But it was definitely a sense of we did it. We got this done. Because he was always about finding people you love and, you know, growing a family with people you love. He really was that guy. And he was special. He really was. Every story you've ever shared about Stuart has been touching. And you honestly saying that he'd be proud of me almost made me get a little choked up because uh, he meant a lot to me. Uh, just as a guy that we looked up, look, looked up to, like I said, you inspired us, uh, but Stuart was, was us. So when I got an opportunity to go pro and, and meet him and talk with him, it meant the world to me. So much so that when he passed, uh, I made sure that I got a portrait made of him uh, for his daughter, Sydney and Taylor, and, and sent it to them. And they received that gift just to show them, like, even a guy like myself who was in the NFL who didn't have quite the relationship that you had with Stuart was still impacted by their dad. And I just want them to know that and want you to know that uh, I appreciate every single story you tell about the man, because he really was cool on the other side of the pillow. And I think everybody in our community, not just the media community, but also in the black community really appreciated the flair that he brought to broadcast TV. It's the end of a long and eventful year. We all deserve a little self-care going into the new year and nothing beats a nice warm bubble bath to unwind and relax in after fighting that cold weather all day. This week's episode of RG3 and the Ones is sponsored by Dr. Teal's. Dr. Teal's Epsom Salts is trusted by the pros, a.k.a. moi, who push their bodies to the limit even when we got to race wild animals. So after a long day of hanging out with media goats and recapping the 2023 season, I need me some me time. There's nothing I love more than a nice warm bubble bath with wifey just to take all the stress from the day away because we all want to head into 2024 refreshed and ready to go hard. Self-care and recovery is important, especially if you're an athlete or if you just reactivated that gym membership and are trying to get right for the new year. So soaking in Dr. Till's Epsom salts can recharge your muscles and help speed recovery. That sounds like the perfect way to start out 2024 to me. It's time to work hard and recover just like the pros do. Grab Dr. Teal's Epsom salts at Walmart today and elevate your game. Before I let you go, though, Rich, I want to ask you a couple questions. So we have the college football playoff coming up, right? I have a feeling of who you think is going to make the final on one side. But can you give me the two teams that you think will end up being in the final? Oh, my God. I, I got to plead the fifth year, man. Obviously, I'm biased. <laughs> I, I I mean, I think this is Michigan's time, but, you know, Alabama is a stout opponent. I mean, um, uh, hopefully 
Milrow w- won't have a, an A game that day or Michigan's defense can take his A game and turn it into a B game because of how good Michigan's defense has been all season long. Okay. The run game shows up uh, if they can gain some yards and McCarthy has a better day than he did in last year's national semifinal. I think Michigan prevails. I will be at the Rose Bowl. I'm bringing my entire family. I covered Michigan in the Rose Bowl. It was Bo Schembechler's last game. The fact that I'm going to be able to bring my entire family and see the maze and the blue in a Rose Bowl end zone is going to be really emotional for me. It's Jim Harbaugh's first Rose Bowl since my freshman year. His final game is a Michigan Wolverine. He has not been back since then. Um, and so the, it, it, it's, it's going to be really a heavy day and hopefully a happy day by the end of it. And I have no earthly idea between Texas and uh, Washington. I truly feel that this is one of the most wide open college football seasons as evidenced by the fact that you could have easily put two other teams in instead of two that made it. I'm just glad Michigan was one of the four because that meant Ohio State wasn't. (laughs) I am a spiteful man and I love it. I love it. I couldn't be more happy. I saw a photograph after the Monday night football game in Seattle after Jackson Smith and Jigba caught a touchdown. And it was a photograph of Olave, Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson and CJ Stroud in the the Ohio State locker room, all in Ohio State uh, uniforms. And somebody said it makes them sick that they never won the natty with those guys. And I just responded, even though I didn't know that person, I have no idea why it wound up in my timeline. I responded with a gif of Harbaugh smiling. (laughs) It means so much to me. It means so much to me. And I I truly, you know, we we know C.J. Stroud is going to be the offensive rookie of the year this year. And he totally deserves it. 100%. He totally deserves it. And Puka Nakua is having a hell of a year. And I think Tank Dell is going to be the third kid in uh, in that department. I'm sure Jordan Addison has some designs on being the – uh, a nominee yep. for for offensive rookie of the year, but it's C.J. Stroud. He has been truly uh, transformative yeah, yeah. Uh, in terms of the way a rookie has played the position. I think you've spoken uh, eloquently about it on your on your on your platforms. Marvin Harrison Jr. coming in next year um, will probably be the odds-on favorite for offensive rookie of the year next year, and I'm rooting for him to do that. So we'll have three consecutive. <laughs> offensive rookies of the year in the national football league who all lost their last game to Michigan. It's just really (laughs) something real special that Michigan sent all three of them off to the NFL with a big fat. So listen, listen, we spotted them them the L going into NFL. Um, And that's the way I feel about it. So I've kind of, twisted your question into something that makes me feel more comfortable which is being really low and spiteful towards the ohio state um so i'm very happy Listen, about this that. Is, thank you for the opportunity. this is why you're one of the goats right you know how to work this game so now you want to talk about uh-huh. you want to talk about the nfl so let's get some predictions for the nfl playoffs do sure. the bills make the playoffs hell yeah Woo, okay okay yeah and they make the playoffs as the AFC East champion. How does that sound? Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe the Dolphins will lose one game before they play each other, and the Bills are playing so well. And here's the reason why I'm saying that. As much as I love Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins, who make the playoffs and can actually make some hay and win the whole damn thing, it's James Cook. He's playing like Christian McCaffrey ever since Joe Brady started calling the plays. And, you know, I'm just wondering if Ken Dorsey's sitting at home somewhere going, yeah. Yeah, should have given it to number four a little bit more. Um, and, and and again, I'm 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 using my own Michigan experience. He ruined 
my New Year's Eve a couple of Orange Bowls ago. Uh, he sent Aiden Hutchinson off to the NFL with an L as well. Um, obviously, the rest of Georgia had a lot to do with it, but he was dynamite. He was, in my mind, the sleeper of, of the draft. I said it going in. It took a while for him to show it, but he's a difference maker. He makes the, the, the Bills offense not have to depend on Josh Allen every time or Stephon Diggs every time Allen is depended on. So um, I think he takes a ton of pressure off and puts so many points on the board, allows the Bills to pin their ears back on defense. He's been the difference maker. I'll give you a quick stat. Since Joe Brady took over, Cook is averaging 21 touches per game. Before Brady took over, he only had 20 touches one time the entire season. So that's nuts. You're 100% and, right. Um, and I, I bet you that, and that number should go up. Oh. Honestly, they should take the tread and rip it off the tire and let him spend the entire offseason in the cold. One hundred percent. All right. Next one is Brock Purdy, the MVP. Will he be the MVP? Um, I, I, th- I, I think he is, he is an MVP candidate. Yeah. Um, as again, we're, as we're discussing it right now, um, I think Lamar is more dependent on to, uh, to be the, the um, generator for Baltimore and what Lamar has done this year uh, with his passing game is in my mind more impressive than his MVP season uh, previous. The play uh, against the Rams, uh, where he found Zay Flowers in the end zone, keeping his head up. Uh, I believe he was rolling to his left. It, it was late in the game, um, down eight, and he found him, um, and it was unreal. And it was a bullet, and he and he and he he was it was a dynamite throw. And then the two point conversion after it was even more impressive. And that's Aaron Donald in his face, <laughs> and he. He's unbelievable. So I wouldn't be um, – I wouldn't have a problem if he's he winds up being the MVP. McCaffrey and Tyreek Hill have to be in the conversation. 100%. Too. Um, 100%. But we all know that that's why they created the Offensive Player of the Year award <laughs> is, is to give the MVP to, to a quarterback. So Yeah, unfortunately, that's what it's been. I do think if there was ever a year for it to be a skill guy, it would be this year for sure. Uh, yeah. Bill Belichick, where does he coach next? I don't know. It could be New England. I, I have no idea. I, I do not know. I think it should be New England. I think it should be New England. But there's a ton of teams that I think that would be happy to get him. One out here with the Chargers, I would think. Uh, Washington, uh, what better way to fill up seats in Carolinas to say we got Belichick? So, um, and, you know, uh, obviously Bill can call up Saban and say, tell me about Bryce Young. You think we can win with him at the next level? You know, I mean, they, they, there's, there's so much that can be going on behind the scenes we don't know. Total speculation, uh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he stays put. You brought up one team, and if you're the if you're the owner of the Chargers, who's your next head coach? Well, I would definitely kick the tires on my guy at Michigan. <laughs> That's for sure. Oh yeah, Dan Quinn wouldn't be a bad choice either. Um, I, I I don't you know I'm not terribly familiar with the hot coordinators. Uh, there's Belichick, but they got to take a swing. They got to take a big swing, and they have to know that they're going to have to cough up the coin to do it. Um, they had Sean Payton right here in the backyard. I'm sure willing to listen to stay here in Southern California, that um, you know place that he was living in with uh, working for Fox, so he could be hooked up hip to hip or uh, headset to helmet with uh, Justin Herbert for the rest of his career. I'm sure he would have listened <laughs> to that. Um, and instead, now he's in Denver, and that was that team that knocked Herbert out for the rest of the season. Right. 
So um, I, I I think they got to take a swing. Yeah, I think a big one. I think they will. I would probably say that Harbaugh is probably the big swing that they should go for and, and try to try to land that that big fish. Last two are it's a combo, combination of the of the two, two of the hottest guys in the NFL okay. right now. And I mean, on on the field and apparently off the field as well are Travis and Jason Kelsey. Do you think they retire after this year? No, I I don't think Travis will. I don't think they should. They're so great. They're so their great. podcast is great, too. And and part of the reason why their podcast is so hot is because they're both active. That's true. Uh, honestly, I, I would stay active just for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but that's me. I'm speaking as a media guy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, honestly, I mean, that, that we, we just talked earlier about all the players that have their own podcasts. And, and one of the many reasons why they're, they're successful is we as fans feel like we're getting inside information and real talk. And and then you add the fact that there's brothers, yeah. um, you know, talking in, in a way with each other that no other hosts can, right. uh, unless they're the Mannings, right? True. Jason is as great as he's ever been, and I know Travis is, um, you know, a part of an offense that we're all wondering if it's missing a gear right now. But he's still Travis freaking Kelsey. Um, I, I don't know why either of them would retire, other than the fact that you know, I mean. Uh, Jason's got small kids. He might want to go, you know, drive one or two of them to school between the months of August and February. Um, honestly, I mean, that that's, there's life and there's family waiting. Um, and then, but that's another reason why to keep playing that these young kids might be able to remember dad when he had a helmet on and he was kicking ass, or he might be at the bottom of these brotherly shove piles saying, what the F not, what am I doing here? What am I doing here with 2000 pounds of human on top of me right now? <laughs> That's a lot of man meat, um, man. That's I, a lot of man meat on top. Of I you. don't know. I, I I just don't. I don't. I don't know. But just if, if we're just talking about the podcast alone, stay active. Yeah. No, no. I, I think the only thing that could get those guys to retire would be just their bodies. If their bodies can't handle it anymore, and I know as a, as fans, sometimes the fans don't understand that. Like Jason Kelsey's been playing a I long know. time. Travis Kelsey's been playing a long time. Their bodies are. Hey. It takes a lot to get them to game day every single day, every single week. You're right. And, and, but, but again, I'm just talking as a fan um, because fans don't put that in the equation and nor do they, when they say that a coach should be fired, you know, there's kids in grade schools exactly. that have been moved five times in their lives and wives that have been moved. I think Mariucci once told me he, met, he and his wife moved like 20 times. <laughs> so, I mean, this is real life for a lot of people and people are like that coach deserved to be fired. And, you know, we're just talking about it professionally. Nobody really ever thinks about that other Correct. stuff. Like, you know, Players may retire because they're banged up, and and Kelsey, both Kelseys may be battling through injuries uh, we have no idea about, and that they spend their entire waking lives um, keeping their bodies as the temple that they are, which is why so many players blow up once they're done. They're like, <laughs> man, that hamburger I've been st- on it. It's true, that hamburger I've been trying to stay away from. Screw it, I'm gonna have 15 of them now. Yeah, I will say a guy like Not you, a guy like Jason might lose weight. It's it's like some of these offensive linemen lose weight and the skill guys. Joe gain Thomas. Weight. Joe Thomas. Oh my goodness! Did you see Marshall? Joe Yonder? Thomas. I just had Whit- I just had Marsh- uh, Andrew Whitworth in my studio. You know, we showed a shot of him during the Super Bowl, and he looked you know bloated. Huge. Yeah, he looked bloated. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall Yonda. So he, Marshall Yonda's transformation was crazy, but 
I'm with you, man. And I appreciate you coming on the show, Rich, uh, having a great conversation. Um, your your you stories it. about anything related to NFL, sports in general, and especially the media and what's going on, I think uh, are going to fall on everyone's ears because not just because you're an OG, but you come from a great place um, and you come from an information base. And I appreciate you being who you are and, and constantly supporting me. As you know, Rich, in this business, it can be a little bit uh, backstabby. It can be a little bit tough. You've always supported me, and I appreciate that. And I'm here anytime you need me, brother. And I appreciate that, which is why, you know, I'm, I'm happy to come on your show anytime. You've always been so giving of your time to, 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 to my show every, every single time I ring up. Um, and I appreciate it. Well, people, it's the end of the year. And uh, Spotify does this thing, you know, so I wanted to try to share my own 2023 football wrapped college and NFL edition. So this year honestly started with me jumping off a boat into Lake Washington, getting ready to call a game between the Washington Huskies and Boise State. And it was a fun experience going from jumping off a boat, ripping my pants, right down the middle, almost drowning in the water, and then proceeding to have to now get shorts from the Washington staff to race Dubs the second, which is their live mascot on the field. Um, being able to run down the hill at Clemson's Death Valley with Dabo Sweeney. All those different experiences combined led to how special college football is. And what we saw this year from Deion Sanders being able to take the college football world by storm. Uh, and pissed a lot of people off in the meantime while he was doing that. So much so that they had coaches out there saying that they were playing for clicks. They were playing for wins. And we all remember all that happening. But at the end of the day, Deion Sanders realized what he did not have. And that was the big guys up front on the offensive defensive lines to be able to compete at the highest level at Power 5 Division One football. And now he's gone into the portal and he's brought in some other guys and He's making proclamations that he's going to be able to go to a bowl game next year. And I think we're all going to be tuned in to see if that comes to fruition. But the main thing that has truly changed college football this entire year and for years before has been NIL, name, image, and likeness. The ability for guys to go into the transfer portal and basically become free agents has completely changed the game. There's quarterbacks who will have played for three, four teams by the time it's all said and done in their college careers, uh, which makes me wonder, where is college football going? Because in the past, you had a home. You had a place that you could call your own. And now for these kids in college football, uh, it's really just mostly about where obviously can they play the most and two, how much money are they going to make? So we're seeing kids go from Alabama to Georgia don't care about rivalries going from Oregon to Oregon State, don't care about rivalries. And I am not against it. I'm not against NIL. I'm not against the transfer portal because, honestly, I believe three of the four Heisman finalists this year were all transfer quarterbacks. Look at Jaden Daniels at LSU, transferred in from Arizona State. Bo Nix from Oregon, transferred from Auburn. And, of course, Michael Penix Jr. being able to transfer from Indiana, where he had four season-ending injuries, to go to Washington and now in his second consecutive year, be able to lead college football in passing yards and finish second in the Heisman Trophy. So although some people hate the transfer portal and they think that it's the worst thing that's ever happened to college football, 
And they use that term that I hate, the wild, wild west. The transfer portal is actually changing players' lives. So when I look at Jaden Daniels and his ability to go from Arizona State, which is a Pac-12 team, to the SEC, to a powerhouse like LSU, and to literally have one of the greatest seasons we have ever seen from a quarterback in college football, win the Heisman after losing three games, and I think he set the NCAA record for passing efficiency. It's quite amazing. So I think for college football, the next biggest thing was the fact that the college football playoff committee got it wrong. They should have put Florida State in the college football playoff, and they didn't. And their reasoning was because their quarterback, Jordan Travis, was hurt. And he, they didn't believe they could win a national championship without him. Not to mention that Ohio State, many years back, won the national championship with their third-string quarterback in Cardell Jones. But the main issue for me with the college football playoff committee isn't the fact that they just left out Florida State. It's that because they hurt the game of college football. There's this sanctity about college football that you earn it on the field, right? The games have to matter. That's why we moved away from the BCS, because we didn't want a computer deciding who was going to be in the, in the championship game. We wanted the best teams to be in there, and we quantified what the best teams were. And then no point in the history of the college football playoff has a Power 5 undefeated conference champion never made the playoff. Why? Because there's a reason they're called the Power 5. Why? Because the games you play matter. And if you schedule tough opponents early in the season – it's supposed to mean something. And that's what Florida State did. But you know, college football has never just been about one guy. College football has always been about the team. So for the committee to come out and make a decision based off of one guy and punish the rest of the team, what are they saying? What are they saying to all the teams out there that are playing the games and winning and doing it at the highest level? What are they saying to all of those defensive players on Florida State's defense and all the parents that watch them and put them through that school and the coaches that have to find ways to win games without not only their backup quarterback, but their starter and win the ACC championship game with their third string guy. To me, that is why the committee ended up hurting college football because they've changed what it means. It basically means now we're going to just make up the rules as we go, and we're going to put the four teams in that we want to put in because, yeah, the games don't matter anymore. And I think that is very, very sad. But when you get to the teams that are in the college football playoff, I look at Alabama, and I say, man, Alabama, nice job. I called their game against South Florida, and it was not pretty. But what they did was they fully bought into who Jalen Milrow is. They built an offense around what he does best, and their team is for the better for it. Jalen Milrow might not be Bryce Young. He might not be Tua Tungavailoa. Heck, he might not be Mac Jones. But all of those guys also aren't him. And it's a coach's job to put their players in the best position possible to be successful. And that's exactly what Nick Saban did. After he sat him down against South Florida, he realized we have no better options. We have to go with Jalen Milrow. And that's what they did. And I think... Nick Saban actually took a step forward, even in his old age, to show you, hey, man, an old dog can learn new tricks. And the new trick that he learned was the simplest one of them all. Put your players in position to be successful. Do what they do best, and you will reap the benefits. And that's exactly why Alabama now, although controversially, is in the college football playoff.
and we'll see what they can do in there. So that's a wrap for the college football portion of this 2023 wrap. And then we get into the NFL. And boy, oh boy, did the NFL season not start with such heartbreak? I mean, four plays in, Aaron Rodgers tore his Achilles for the New York Jets. And that spawned the year of the backup quarterback. Not just for the Jets. Yeah, they played Zach Wilson. Didn't go too well. Yeah, they played Tim Boyle. That definitely didn't go well. They also played Trevor Simeon. But for all of the quarterbacks that we're missing in today's game, whether you're talking about Joe Burrow, Deshaun Watson, Anthony Richardson, the list goes on and on and on. It just goes to show you how fragile of a game football can be. At any given point, the game can be taken away from you. And if the game is going to punish a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who has given so much of himself to this game, who's been on psychedelic drugs, just to make sure that he can have a clear mind to go out and play such a vicious game, I think all of these guys and all of these teams will do a much better job of building out the rest of their roster, especially their backup quarterbacks, to get guys in the building that should be there. Look at Joe Flacco and what he's done for the Cleveland Browns. Kevin Stefanski took Joe Flacco off the couch, and now he has the Browns back in playoff contention. Maybe that means Cam Newton should be there. Maybe a guy like myself. Heck, there's been so many backup quarterbacks playing, I pitched myself to the Cleveland Browns. They made a wise decision to go get a Super Bowl MVP in Joe Flacco, and I ain't mad about that. But I even pitched myself to the Jets. Now it's too late. But other than that, I mean, we're talking about NFL with the Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens come into the year. They've got all these new weapons. They sign OBJ. They bring in Zay Flowers. You got Mark Andrews there. Lamar Jackson signs a new deal. And the Ravens have not been dominant this season, but they've won in every which way you can possibly imagine. In my mind, the Baltimore Ravens are the MMA equivalent to John Jones. They can beat you any way they need to. On the ground, standing up and striking, in the clinch. And when it gets ugly, they just have a different gear that they can get to that most people can't find. And the best part about it is Lamar Jackson isn't even playing his best football yet. So the fact that they have the best record in the NFL and Lamar is still not quite playing at his best and he's still an MVP candidate, whoo, the Ravens could go on a run here in a little bit. But you've also got Philadelphia Eagles, who are struggling as of late. Who are the Eagles? Are they the team that wins close games? Or are they the team that just can't find a way to pull it together on offense and defense in clutch moments? I think the Eagles are a great team. I don't think point differential matters. But my stat nerds out there, and I'm one of those stat nerds, some of them, some of them believe that it is. Is Jalen Hurts going to continue to be that guy? Can A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard and Jason Kelsey and all the guys they got on offense finally pull it together? Is that defense going to show up? Or is the fact that they've lost five starters in the offseason and another five starters during the season going to truly come back to bite them in the butt? I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find out next year, I guess. Then you've also got the Buffalo Bills, who just won a game, or should I say have started to win games without Josh Allen having to be Superman. Since Joe Brady took over, James Cook has been cooking. And Josh Allen hasn't had to do too much of Superman type stuff putting on the cape. Can the Bills sneak into the playoffs? Who knows? But I know one thing. 
nobody in the AFC or the NFC wants the Buffalo Bills to be in the playoffs because if they have to come to your stadium, you know you're getting a stacked, dominant team that is way better than their record says they are. And then, of course, there's the Miami Dolphins. And this is where I have to take a pause, people, because it's not just Tua Tungavailoa playing at his, at his best, leading the league in passing yards and average time to throw and top five in passing touchdowns. He's having a great year, right? Any other year, Tua would be, the, would be a, one of the leading candidates for the MVP. And I'm not saying he's not. He's just not number one. But it's also Tyreek Hill and, and him having his best year. Jalen Waddell and Raheem Mostert actually breaking the franchise record for the Miami Dolphins in total touchdowns with 20. And they've still got games to play. So when you look at all this and Jalen Ramsey comes back and he's playing lights out and their defense is playing at a really extremely high level and Bradley Chubb is getting after the quarterback in a way that we haven't seen from him before. It all boils down to one guy, in my opinion. It's Mike McDaniel. And Mike McDaniel has completely changed the Miami Dolphins organization and Mike McDaniels puts his players in position to be successful based off what they can do he doesn't always focus on what they can't do and I think that's why his players love him it's why his players connect with him and that's why the Miami Dolphins will be a dangerous team come the playoffs and I just of all the great years that we've seen from players have so far there there's one guy that has truly had the most special year of them all. And to me, that's Christian McCaffrey. We're talking about the running back for the San Francisco 49ers on a San Francisco 49er team that I call the Avengers. Offensively and defensively, they got some goons. Whether you want to talk about Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Kyle Juszczyk, Brock Purdy, Brandon Ayuk. But you know who Iron Man is? Iron Man is Christian McCaffrey. He's the one that makes them go. When you look at their success with and without him, it's staggering. When you look at how Brock Purdy struggled when Christian McCaffrey missed a game, it's staggering. But why is he the thing that makes them go? Well, Christian McCaffrey can play running back, slot receiver, outside receiver, tight end, H-back. He can do it all. I'm sure you could probably put him in there at offensive guard and he'll make it work. But the bottom line is his positional versatility allows the 49ers to attack a defense in a way that you just isn't normal. If your running back can line up anywhere on the formation and actually be a threat, he could be a number one wide receiver. He could be a number one tight end and he's a number one running back. And oh, yeah, he's not the only one. You can also do that with Debo. It gives you more opportunities as a play caller like Kyle Shanahan to go and attack the defense and get mismatches. But this team for the 49ers is rooted in physicality. They are rooted in the running game. And that's why I love Brock Purdy. And I don't think that Brock Purdy is a game manager. But I do know that the real MVP for the San Francisco 49ers is Christian McCaffrey. Leads the league in rushing yards by almost 400 yards, or at least he did. Leads the league in total and all-purpose yards. And also leads the league in total touchdowns. The guy is tied with Marshall Falk for the most games in NFL history in the regular season of one passing uh, receiving touchdown and one rushing touchdown at 15. Marshall Falk is a Hall of Famer who also won MVP. So Christian McCaffrey is right there in really good 
company. When you look at this NFL season in totality, who's the MVP? I don't know. Could be Tyreek. Could be Christian McCaffrey. Could be Brock Purdy. Could be Tua. Could be Dak Prescott. I don't know. Who's the best team in the NFL? Could be the Ravens. Could be the 49ers. Could be the Dolphins. Eagles? Cowboys? The Lions? I don't know. What I do know is that the playoff race on both sides, AFC and NFC, is double-cheeked up on a Tuesday. I mean, it's thicker than a snicker. Thicker than a bowl of oatmeal. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. And that's why we love football so much. There's so much parity in the NFL right now. You don't know if the Buffalo Bills, who are out of playoffs right now, make it in and they could be the Super Bowl favorite. But that's why we love this game. And that's why I can't wait till next year when we get to break it all down again. All right, people. Well, that's a wrap for episode 15 of RG3 and the Ones. Just want to give a huge shout out to Mr. Eisen for enriching us with all of his knowledge. Hopefully you took one thing from what he said and you can apply it to your own life so you can become one of one in that bad boy, as I've always said. So make sure you guys like and subscribe to our YouTube page. And again, you got to be following us on social media so that you can soak up all this game that we're going to be dropping on you guys every single day as we gear up towards those episode drops on Thursday. Once again, RG3 and the Ones is a Wave Sports and Entertainment original presented by Prize Picks in partnership with Whispering Oaks Productions. And I got to give a huge shout out to the whole production team doing an amazing job, not only just producing this show, but also having to deal with your boy every single day. So before you go, I always like to give you some little bit of knowledge. So I want you guys to go into the new year and understand that any resolution that you make isn't going to be able to be applied unless you change your lifestyle. Go out there, lift some weights, take care of your body, not only for yourself, but for your family, for your kids, if you have any, because they're going to want to be able to run around with you as well. And whatever resolution you make, stick to it for longer than two weeks. It'll change your life. So we'll see you guys next time, and I'll see you guys next year. Peace out.